Welcome to the American Warrior Festival podcast, a celebration of our troops, veterans, and American way of life. I'm your host, Dan Clore. All right, all you hard chargers, prepare yourselves for the American Warrior Festival's maiden voyage into the world of podcasting. Tonight's episode will be called Adapt and Overcome, and that's exactly what we're doing here at American Warrior. With a worldwide pandemic on our hands and multiple events being canceled or postponed, we figured what better time to pollute the airwaves with our brand of debauchery. So here we are. And I tell you what, I'm really excited about this. We have a great show for you here tonight. We have a very special guest in Lieutenant Colonel Terry Hagen, the man that I credit primarily for helping me salvage my Marine Corps career. Our master of chocolates, bow ties, and European metal the one and only Jeremy Lyles of Oliver's Candies, and, last but not least, the selfless Fred Alvarado of San Antonio, Texas, who's doing great work by feeding homeless veterans in need in San Antonio. We're also going to discuss our American Warrior Festival National Food Drive and our program with the greatest teams in professional sports, the Raiders, Yankees, and L.A. Kings. We run that program through our father company called Strength in Numbers Entertainment. Now, I'm going to apologize beforehand for the musical sledgehammer to the forehead that you're going to receive courtesy of American Warrior Festival's flagship band called Weapon X. Now, let's take the time to talk about what American Warrior Festival is all about, what we do and why we exist. So I'm going to share with you our American Warrior Festival mission statement. Our slogan is we've been celebrating our troops and veterans in the American way of life, through music and entertainment, since 2012. Now our mission. Our mission is to provide entertainment for the brave men and women who have served and are currently serving the United States Armed Forces, and to give them access to veteran support resources through our nonprofit partners. Why we exist. It is truly remarkable and much appreciated that today's veterans and active military personnel enjoy much greater public support and recognition than in years past. However, cases of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, suicides, homelessness, drug abuse, and unemployment amongst veterans are at an all-time high. Far too many of our brothers and sisters still suffer because they don't know where to turn for help, or are hesitant to do so. We as Americans must pick up the slack and help these heroes in any ways that we can. Every one of these men and women have sacrificed their bodies and minds for country and cause. They have earned the right to be remembered and rewarded. Now what do we do? What we do is we produce single and multiple day concerts and festivals in cities all across America. We showcase local, regional, and national bands. We organize group travel to various events and locations, including concerts, sporting events, tours, cruises, military sites, battlefields, memorials. We provide information, resources, and support to attending veterans through nonprofit veteran based organizations. We donate to our nonprofit partners who have contributed at each event. Funds from local and national sponsorships, contributions from private businesses and individuals, 
Ticket sales, concessions, merchandise, etc., etc., enable veterans to attend these events for free and cover production, operational, and logistical costs. AWF needs you. The American Warrior Festival is by no means the answer to all problems and issues faced by these selfless individuals. It is simply our way of showing them that we care and their service was not in vain and will never be forgotten. Your contribution, however large or small, enables us to show them the love that they deserve. Please join us in giving our military family members an amazing experience. There it is, folks. That's what we do here at American Warrior Festival. Now, back to the main theme of our episode. Adapt and overcome. Of all the great lessons that I've learned in my time in the United States Marine Corps, the mantra adapt and overcome is as important as any. You can apply this philosophy to virtually any problem. Any challenge or obstacle, you can apply this. When life punches you in the face, like it's often going to do, you must be prepared. You must be willing to take it head on. You must be willing to adapt. Now this pandemic, the situation we're all currently fighting through is like nothing we've ever seen or have experienced before. In our generation, our parents' generation, hell, our grandparents' generation. It's a different animal. Many people have lost their lives or, or their living during these challenging times. People are struggling to keep their businesses afloat, their lights on. Look at the kids. Kids are missing out on school, sports, their senior years. I mean, that's heartbreaking. It's a tough situation all around. But regardless of what your view or opinion on our current situation is, I find these following words to be true. You know, we, we have an opportunity here if we choose to recognize it or not. I mean, we, we have a chance to sharpen our iron, to adapt and overcome. We can become much stronger, more appreciative. I mean, we, we can be more patient and honest. We can become more caring individuals overall. In one way or another, we all have a test right here, right now, right here in front of us. A test that none of us have been able to study for. I mean, we feel unprepared and confused. We're angry, right? I mean, it's unfair. My friends, we all know life never was or ever will be fair. The world doesn't owe us that. Many of us may lose something very valuable and dear to us. Some are gonna. Some may lose a job, a job that they love. Some may lose a business that they've devoted their lives to. And many will miss out on an amazing life experience that they will never get the chance to recreate. And God forbid some may even lose a loved one and not be able to hold their hand as they go. This is the cold, hard truth. And as much as it hurts, we still have an opportunity. We've all heard the expression, right? It's, it's not about how many times you fall. It's about how many times you get back up. 
And this is one of life's most amazing, powerful opportunities. As long as you're breathing, you get to fight another freaking day. The job you lost may come back. If not, then what are you going to do? You're going to find something new that opens up a whole new world for yourself, for you. If you lost a business that you poured your blood, sweat, and tears into, well, damn it, build it up. Build it again. Build it stronger. You might build something better than you ever thought was possible. If you lost a life experience that you can't get back, then you'll learn to appreciate time more than you ever had before. Think about if you're one of those youngsters who's missing out on something that they've worked their whole life for, such as school, sports, graduation. As sad as it is for those those young human lives, you will overcome it and gain very vital life experience early on. If nothing else, you're going to learn that life can beat you down. But only if you let it. Only if you let it. Our young people will be mentally stronger at that age than we could have ever imagined. Your loved ones, we know how fleeting life can be. Hold them tighter. Make time for them. Make that call to mom that you might not have made a day before. Appreciate the time more than you ever had before. Don't waste a chance to tell them that you love them. It's time to adapt and overcome, my friends. And the great words of Rocky Balboa's trainer, Mickey Goldmill, Get up, you son of a bitch, because Mickey loves you. I love that freaking movie. Who doesn't love Mick, right? Who doesn't love the Rocco? That I'm pulling for each and every one of you out there to overcome your challenges and to live your best life. We're going to live our best life here at American Warrior by continuing our national food drive in this here podcast. In time, we'll get back to what we do best, which is putting on national concerts and events. So until then, grab a cold one, a cigar, or a great glass of bourbon, and enjoy the show. Here is Weapon X with One Shot, One Kill.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a good friend of the American Warrior Festival, Terry Hagan, Lieutenant Colonel, USMC retired. <laughs> Terry, how's it going, brother? Ah, uh, doing great, Dan. How are you, man? Oh, doing awesome, man. Having a great time. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's uh, I, it's 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 sincerely humbling to be uh, one of your first guests on this uh, podcast. So it's really cool uh, for me to be here. Oh, thank you, man. The honor is all ours. Trust me. Uh, so yeah, Terry and I go go way back, all the way to uh, Leroy School. Leroy is a school in Western New York, where Terry was a football player, wrestler, and you know I kind of got to know Terry quite a bit because I would bring him water bottles out in the middle of the <laughs> middle of the mat for his wrestling matches. So it's pretty much a water boy at that time. I mean, they used a fancy name. Remember Terry? They called us managers, but right. I was basically managing the water bottle. So Terry, do you? Uh, do you remember those good times, man, bringing the water out to you on the mat? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, you know, Dan, Dan was always one of those guys that was, you know, a little bit short in stature but full of personality. And everybody loved Dan, <laughs> you know. Everybody loved Dan out there as a, as, a, as a water boy, so to speak. But we all knew you had good potential, Dan. So, you know, we always looked up to you. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Too. I think it was uh, football, too. You were, like, one of the managers for football as well. So, in the locker room and everything. That was always uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it was great to be around the the older athletes to get inspired to learn the game. You know, we learned a lot in wrestling, being managers. I mean, j just even getting beat up by the older kids is part of the whole process, you know, that take your lumps and <laughs> and develop from there and get you ready for the real deal when, uh, you know, it's it's our go time. So, yeah, look back at those uh, those times as really good times. Now, Terry, I also remember that uh, you were you were what valedictorian of the class, right? Yeah, I was. It, yeah, it was a small. Keep in mind, Leroy's a pretty small school. So when I uh, describe my hometown to folks uh, when I first meet them, or they want to know what Leroy's like, I I always say it's the birthplace of Jello. You know, so <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's one of the hallmarks that we have uh, with with Leroy and everything. But uh, yeah, it's a small small school, so. Yeah, it was. I w yes, I was valedictorian, but uh, it was a, not like I was uh, competing against a thousand other people in some big, big city school kind of thing. <laughs> hey, but you know what? There's some, there's some brainiacs there, though, man. Was, you know, Terry's being humble, ladies and gentlemen. He's being very humble. But uh, I do remember that Terry was was going to the Naval Academy, and I remember uh, being really inspired by that because I had an older cousin who went to West Point. And so I knew what it took for the process to get in one of those one of those amazing academies, Naval Academy, you know, West Point. So, uh, Terry, tell us a little bit about what inspired you to go to the Naval Academy and ultimately become a Marine Corps officer. <laughs> well, that's a great question, you know, and, uh, you know, growing up in a small town, you know, I mean, I think I just had a perception that I want to do something bigger. And I didn't want to spend, you know, my entire life in a small town like Leroy. I just want to go out and see the world, you know. So I looked at the, the Naval Academy as an opportunity to do that. And, and, and quite frankly, it was not, you know, um, my, fo my focus at the time was not necessarily on the Marine Corps. I just knew that there was opportunity there. And I had to kind of figure it out, you know, as I kind of went through the process of 
of all that stuff. So we did have a, you know, one of our uh, fellow Leroyans attend the Naval Academy and end up being the football team captain with Bert Pengrazio and stuff like that. So he was one of the few people I remember growing up, you know, as my inspiration, you know, for looking at, you know, other opportunities out there and what to do, you know. So anyway, yeah, it was uh, one of the neat things about the Naval Academy, I guess I'll just say briefly, is that you get uh, humbled pretty fast, you know. So, you know, you can come oh, from a small sure. town and, and uh, you know, do a lot of things in uh, your small town. But once you get there, you're just you're like one of many, you know, you're just an average dude. <laughs> so, you know, you try to, you know, you talk about adversity and stuff like that. And I think that's one of our, you know, overcoming adversity is one of our themes of the of the topic today and you know you always have to find a way you know of uh you know finding what what you're good at what you might be you know better at and uh you know taking the initiative to actually go out and and do those kinds of things so the naval academy definitely provides that in spades and there's definitely lots of adversity <laughs> when you get there so you have to figure it out you know how are you going to be able to succeed and uh get through everything so the the marine corps on the, on that and, you know, it was probably one of the last things I was thinking about when I first went there. But it's just like one of those things you do your summer training. And I just had the most fun uh, being with the Marines down at Quantico and, and doing that kind of stuff. I didn't mind the physicality of it. I mean, the, the people were really good. And, I, you know, all the, the Marine Corps officers and enlisted folks that they had at the academy are all top-notch people that I could say, yes, yeah, so I want to be like that, you know. And that definitely went a long way to for me, uh, choosing the Marine Corps. Oh, that, that's awesome because see that, that's a big question that I have is, you know, is it pretty much tunnel vision? I'm going to the Naval Academy and that's my focus. And also, like you said, coming from a small town, you're just jumping into a large pond now and just probably getting used to your surroundings. Like what the hell's going on here and figuring out life and, and your, your, you know, new surroundings. So that's interesting. I, I, I wasn't sure if you knew Marine Corps, you were going Marine Corps right away, if you dove in and kind of took it all in and then decided to make your, uh, and follow your path. So, yeah, yeah that's, yeah, definitely, that's uh, really cool. Definitely, yeah, definitely a little bit later, you know, for that kind of decision, you know, and I really, like I said, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I kind of figured out that one summer what I didn't want to do, and I didn't want to be on a submarine because it was hitting my head because I'm six feet four, so I was hitting my head. All oh, the time. screw that! Yeah, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> a submarine. I, I don't know how those guys do it. Yeah, <laughs> and on a, on a ship, uh, you know, it's just uh, life on the ship is not necessarily the greatest, although some people love it. So God bless them. And then uh, being down at Pensacola and uh, you know flying around you know, fixed wing aircraft, the T-34 mentors and some helicopters and stuff like that, you know, it was cool, but I just didn't feel right. So, you know, a lot of times in life, I think you just got to figure out what, what, what you are and what fits best. And for me, the, the Marine Corps was definitely the best fit. Uh, you know, I felt the most comfortable with um, when I got commissioned in, um, out of the academy. Well, I, I just think it fits you too, man. You know, I think thinking between the two branches and, and just the type of person you are, uh, you know, it seemed like it was, it was a great fit for you. And I think you'd agree looking back at your career, right? You know, and I mean, uh, probably one of those things, I can't imagine you have too many regrets here with your decision with all that. I'm sure it's kind of led to uh, positive things in your uh, civilian career as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I firmly believe that everything happens for a reason. And, you know, I, I had the opportunity to go to West Point as well. And it was like one of those weird kinds of uh, experiences where, you know, <laughs> long story short, it was a three-day weekend. I go to the Naval Academy on Friday and Saturday. I go visit West Point Sunday and Monday. And uh, it was just a completely a night and day different experience. You know, the nothing against West Point, but the, the, the experience I had up there was a very, you know, was not a positive experience by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a very much more of a positive experience at the Naval Academy. And that just solidified my mind. It's like, okay, the Army and the West Point is not the solution for me. Although my, my brother, my, my father all serve in the Army. I have a, you know, family history of, of folks in the Army and so forth. And, and no one from my family was ever in the Marine Corps. So I was the first one uh, from my family to do that. But, um, you know, things like that happen in life. You know, I think, Dan, we can talk about some of your experiences as well, where certain things happen where, you know, you have to make a decision and figure it out, you know, and sometimes those those experiences lead you one way down life and the, or they lead you down another path. And for me, it was uh, down uh, the path of the Naval Academy. Oh, it, absolutely. That's that's awesome. I never knew you went and checked out West Point, too. So basically, you were able to uh, kind of do the process of elimination and check it all out and, and really focus on what was going to fit you. So, and Hey, I, I'm, I'm glad you did because, uh, you know, you, it, I've told you many times that you've been an amazing, uh, one of the most amazing individuals in my life to help me fix my Marine Corps career. And I know a lot of people know the story because we've done, um, you know, videos of it and, and documentaries kind of, uh, detailing my story and, uh, how I didn't really, really do things correctly the first time in the Marine Corps. Uh, I was a stubborn young Marine, wanted a certain MOS, a certain job, couldn't have it. I bucked the system and, you know, got broken down in rank and, and basically got processed out of the Marine Corps. And, uh, you know, after a couple years, I just remember it started eating away at me. Uh, I just started thinking about it. I was like, man, what the hell happened? Here we are. And I mean, I still, I knew I was going to be, I was in music full time. And you know, the crazy thing that inspired me, I don't know why the hell this happened this way, but I got a Guitar World magazine that had the guitar player from um, Pantera, Dimebag Daryl, and the guitar player from Ozzy, Zach Wild, on the front of Guitar World magazine in green camo. They're just <laughs> dressed up like sports. And I don't know if it just, it, the seed hit me in that just hit me in the forehead. Like, get these great guitar players, and you know they never served, but uh, here they are in camo, and it just motivated me to say, you know, and I'm a, the type of guy that once I get something in my head, man, I have to push it all the way. So, yeah. I remember calling uh, prior service recruiters in in the Marine Corps, and you know they found out my reenlistment code at first, and they were like, RE4, are you kidding me? Click. And so I tried everything and no one wanted to talk to me. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm in good shape. I'm still young. I have, I have things to offer. Look at my record before I, I got processed out. So I did end up doing the one year in the army and got uh, my honorable discharge and the Marine Corps still would not talk to me. So fast forward to uh, new year's Eve, 2004, I'm in my hometown of Leroy, New York. And, you know, kind of 
kind of down on my luck a little bit. And I said, well, something led me to the country club on the golf course. And I'm like, you know what? Let me, let me go out there and just hang out with some friends and see what's going on. And Terry, we run into each other. Hadn't seen you in how long at that point? I Probably. Think since I left high school. <laughs> Yeah, at least safe to say a decade, right? Or no more than that, probably 13, 14 years. Yeah, yeah. And yeah I graduated in 89, so that, yeah, like 14 years or so. Yeah, and I remember the first word, besides saying, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? The first <laughs> words were, hey, how come you're not still, how come you're not in the fight? I always remember that. Remember you saying those those words to me? Hey, how come you're not in the fight? Yeah, and I told you yeah. my story, and I remember you saying, "I think we need a few more beers." <laughs> and we went, and got, we went and got a few more beers. Yeah, that's right. And now let's tell let's tell the people what your position was at that point in your in your career, where you were able to move mountains for me. <laughs> well, this is another one of those things where things happen in life, and you find your way, you find yourself in a certain position. And nothing that you actually planned or wanted, but, you know, at the end of the day, you're there. So I was uh, at Camp Pendleton and, you know, in the Marine Corps, here's another <laughs> kind of adversity kind of thing. But, you know, when I, when I went through the basic school uh, after the Naval Academy, I ended up getting one of the things for an MOS position that I never would have even thought of or even wanted, which was motor transportation. Um, so, you know, I just had spent an arduous four years at the academy and now I go to the basic school and I was one of these uh, what's called, you know, they, they, they divide the class into thirds. So if you're on the top of any third, you pretty much get what you want. Right. But if you're on the bottom of the third, then you pretty much left the scraps. Well, that happened to me. I was the, on Friday, I was the, the top guy of the second third on Saturday they did, they did remedial land navigation and some of the lieutenants uh, actually, you know, because of their scores, it actually bumped me up like two spots. So on Monday when we did service selection, I was the second guy from the bottom of the top third. So I made the top third. But, you know, you had your choice of adjutant or mortar transportation. Which one do you want, lieutenant? You know, and that was it. There wasn't any like negotiation of MOSs or, you know, any kind of, you know, backdoor deals. Whatever was left is what your choice <laughs> was. So. I could relate to your story, Dan. I mean, I'm saying that because I can relate to your story that you didn't get what you wanted, you know, when you went first into the Marine Corps. And I filled the position of an adjutant. I was in Okinawa, Japan for three years with 3rd Marine Division. I ended up spending some time as an adjutant one summer, and that was one of the hardest jobs I've ever had, I think, you know. But, uh, okay, so fast forward, you know, I go to graduate school and uh, end up doing my payback tour at a place called the Marine Corps Tactical System Support Activity. So I get a graduate degree in IT and everything, and I do my payback tour. And then I really wanted to stay at Camp Pendleton, um, you know, and, and go back out to the fleet. You know, the you know at this time, um, you know, we're talking like 2002 now. So, you know, Iraq was just starting to heat up and stuff like that. So I wanted to get out to the fleet and, and so forth. And then I couldn't stay in Southern California. I mean, I could have gone to Camp Lejeune or something like that, but I really wanted to stay in Southern California. So the only position left for me at that time was uh, down at what's called 12th Marine Corps District, so, which is on recruiting duty. So I was filling a logistics officer's bill at the time that I saw you on New Year's. And uh, so I wasn't like an active duty recruiter. I don't want to you know, 
take anything away from the recruiters that were out there busting their butts and you know, all the officers that were, you know, on a daily basis were being beaten down for making numbers and stuff like that. So I was the logistics officer. So I supported the recruiters with facilities and vehicles and phones and, and stuff like that and furniture. So I found myself there, not really wanting to be there, but I tried to do my best with what was given to me and that was it. And, but in the process, I got to know all the prior service recruiters because at that time uh, they ended up falling underneath the, uh, the Marine Corps Recruiting Command. And I had to help them out with all the different facilities that they had across uh, 12 Western states. So I knew all those guys and it just happened to be the right time, the right place when I ran into you, which was, you know, for me that on that New Year's Eve night was just a last minute decision to actually even go there. You know, I, wow. I was with my brother and stuff like that. And uh, so we weren't even expecting to, uh, to hang out there, um, you know, for New Year's. But I think it was one of the few places open and it seemed to be a, a good place. So I'm really glad I ran into you there. But it's just one of those, you know, other pieces of fate, you know, that happened to you during life that you just happen to find yourself at the right place at the right time. And I had the right connections at the time and I knew the people well enough. So when I heard your story, you know, it's like, hey, I, I might be able to help you. <laughs> so at least get you in touch with the right prior service recruiter command and be able to at least uh, provide, you know, written letters of, you know, of endorsement and, and recommendations and, and stuff like that. So um, I'm glad it all worked out. You know, it was, it was certainly just one of those things that was just kind of a fluke. But I knew that night, though, Dan, that, you know, if, if you could not get back into the Marine Corps, it would always be like this, this gray cloud, you know, over you, you know, that. Ab- more, absolutely. The, the biggest yeah. regret of my life, it, it was at that point. And I, I just remember just saying, you know, uh, I want this really bad. I'll go to Iraq tomorrow. And, and you said, hey, uh, let's have a good time the rest of the night. And when we both get back to California. Let's touch base. Here's my number. Get a hold of me, and we'll we'll get the process moving. And uh, I remember that. I remember getting back to California and calling you right away, and you're like, basically, son of a bitch, man. Here we are. All right. And yeah. and you told me exactly what I needed to do. I wrote a letter and put my heart and soul and passion into it. Uh, how I need this. I want this, and I'll do anything to fix my Marine Corps career and make it right. It was just anything. You know, it was all I wanted at that moment. And uh, you, you got the process going. I think you brought some other uh, other fellow officers on board to help out with it. Uh, remember, we have, I think, a few Marines back in this area, like, uh, you know, Hicks and Ball here and yeah. uh, a few others that helped out. And I remember it went all the way up. In, now, the prior service recruiter did tell me that it went all the way up the chain of command there at headquarters Marine Corps. And maybe you can clarify this, but I think it went to a colonel's desk. And maybe initially got rejected, but then a sergeant major maybe overturned it and said, hey, look at this unit. This Marine at one time was, you know, doing really good things and he's still young and, in, you know, he could do the job. And most importantly to the unit, we need bodies and numbers. Yeah. And yeah. at least that's the story I remember the prior service recruiter telling me. And oh, I, I'm sure there's a lot of truth to that. You know, I mean, obviously, in this kind of situation, the uh, the senior enlisted, the sergeant major, I'm sure it has a very big influence on who gets selected and who doesn't. So 
Um, I'm glad he was able to intervene. And, you know, if he had adjust somebody's uh, thought process in that, then, then good on him, you know, because uh, I tell you, it was, um, it, it worked out great for everyone, you know, just from that one decision. So I may have helped go and grease the skids a little bit, but, uh, you know, really somebody has to make that decision and, and take that risk. And, but, you know, the thing for me though, Dan, was that, yeah. you know, you're a very honest, genuine, and it wasn't like, you know, you were, and I, and I could totally relate to your story because I never wanted to be a motor transportation officer or so I didn't want to be an adjutant, you know, in, uh, in Okinawa. And, uh, geez, that was a whole nother experience, uh, over there. <laughs> so I could get where you're coming from. And it wasn't like out of malice or, you know, you did something like extremely, you know, crazy or something like that. It's just that you don't want to be an avid person. So yeah, I needed to, right. I needed to be a grunt. It just had to happen for me. And, and, and eventually I got there, you know, that was the, the second part. And let me tell you too, that if I could go back and have done my first stint all the way through normal, normally like the way most do, I wouldn't change. I would, I wouldn't change that. I love the fact that I had a second chance at it because it's like one of those things when you put the uniform on the first time, of course you're proud and and you love it. And you look in, you look in the mirror and you say, wow, I'm one of the few, the proud. Uh, but then when it's, when it's gone, even taken away by your own hand, even, and you fight to get it back and, and it doesn't come back easily and you realize how much you miss it. I tell you what, when I put those freshly starched, baggy, brand new camis on the second time, where I basically, you know, I walk into my new unit, they're like, they're baggy on me. So they didn't know, like, who's this shit bag? <laughs> but then I'm like, wait a second now, you youngsters, let me show you what's up. And uh, I just remember getting into really that new unit quickly. Too, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I was. It, it, that's. And that's what was funny because I went to the gym with those same guys afterwards. I'm like, you know, who wants some? And they're like, oh shit, man, he's got something going on under those baggy ass camis. But uh, <laughs> I told everyone my story. I, I didn't, I didn't expect uh, any special treatment. But uh, it, it was funny to see because I mean, once I got back in, they're like, all right, let your job know that you're done and you're going to be going to Iraq within. Three months. And I said, you can send me anywhere. I, I'm, I'm ready to, to do this. And when I got back in, like I said, it was just, they're like, why the hell is this guy so freaking happy to be here? Smiling all the time. This guy doesn't want to be anywhere else. And to me, it was that I'm back. I'm back. And, and Terry, I know uh, there's been a few, there's a few Marines in the command that I was uh, attached to that I still keep in touch. They're going to come on the show as well, because they were my squad leaders, my platoon sergeants and, um, you know, they call, they call me the reclamation project. Um, some of them. <laughs> and I know that you communicated with some of our, uh, with our chain of command while I was in Iraq, right. Uh, you kept in yeah. touch with some of the guys. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So, um, so I got done with the recruiting in 2005. I go to one meth, um, in uh, camp Pendleton, uh, that, that August, I guess I reported in, um, into the G4 section. So by now I'm a logistics officer. I'm not a, technically a mortar transportation officer anymore. So I'm getting ready. You know, I'm going to be part of the one meth forward group going uh, to Iraq, to Fallujah, and spend a year starting in um, early February, I guess it was, um, to go to uh, Fallujah. So probably about November, I think it was, um, I ended up getting an email from your company commander just out of the blue on the, on the high 
side classified email that we had who is, you know, by then you are now in Ramadi, which for the folks that don't know in, um, you know, late 2005, 2006, 2007 timeframe, that was probably the, one of the worst places in the world to be, you know? So Ramadi was not, not a happy place and you were there and you were doing uh, convoy escorts and all kinds of different things with the, uh, with the MP battalion that you're assigned to with that task force. And uh, so I ended up getting a, yeah, an email from your company commander just out of the blue and uh, just saying what, well, you thank me, you know, for helping you get back into the Marine Corps, but just wrote like this really nice long email of all the things that you're doing, Dan, you know, not only in Ramadi, you know, currently deployed in one of the worst places of the world, but also everything, everything you did, you know, to get the unit ready to go on deployment. I mean, just getting them in shape and improving their PFT scores by like 50 points a piece or something like that. It was something crazy. You had all these statistics on that. So to me, that, that was one of the most satisfying uh, feelings I've ever had. You know, I mean, I, you know, I felt good that, you know, we were able finally to uh, right or wrong. So anyway, it was, it was really, really good. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. In fact, looking back at it, it was kind of like the unit Swiss Army knife. I mean, not only did I do my Marine Corps <laughs> job, but I was a I had personal training knowledge at that point. And I remember working out with my with my brothers there in the in the gym and, and the ladies attached to our unit as well. And I even led the worship service with the music. I play guitar, obviously. And I remember uh, one of the first times they're like, hey, Clark, you know, play us some songs. I'm like, all right, man, you know, here, put, put the little tip, put the little tip jar out. Now, hey, hit, hit, hit up my can here, you know. And so uh, I, I remember playing a few songs and uh, it, I got up and they, it was a promote. It was a promotion. Right there. They got up. We did a promotion. I, I was went from private to PFC at that point because I had to start all over, oh, you know. Man. So I just I was like, man, you guys must have liked the song. All right. Every time I play a tune, <laughs> can I get some rank? Shit. Here we go. I'll be a sergeant major by next week. So. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just remember the guys that I was attached to uh, the unit, uh, you know, uh, Staff Sergeant Slick and, and Sergeant Fisher and. And all my brothers there, they were just really, really welcoming and supportive. And the fact that I went in there and said, hey, I know I was in the Marine Corps when a lot of you were in third grade, but, <laughs> you, you know, I deserve what I get here. Put me on Firewatch right away. Let's do this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not special. I'm here to, to, to right my wrongs and to do to serve the Marine Corps in my country like I always meant to do. So, I mean, that, that's why. I love having you here with, you know, with us on the podcast. And I, I'm so thankful you come to our shows in DC and we're looking to improve all of these things. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's real important to stay in touch with you and, and see how you're doing with your family. And you know, I got a chance to meet your family and you got a beautiful family there and you're doing great things in your civilian career. So, uh, you know, how, how have you found, uh, how civilian world treating you so far? How are you doing there with, uh, your new career? <laughs> yeah, pretty well. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, you just kind of give a little fill in of after Iraq, I spent another year in, uh, in Camp Pendleton with one MEF and, uh, did some really cool things, uh, with the maritime prepositioning force community. It's called MPF, but we have these big ships of combat gear 
that float around the world ready for contingencies. So I got a chance to do that kind of stuff from a logistics perspective and spent a lot of time over in Jordan where we did a ship offload over there. And then um, basically after that, after I got done with OneMeth, um, got assigned to headquarters Marine Corps. And I was in the, like the installation and logistics department there doing some really interesting uh, futuristic type of stuff uh, with drones. Um, if, if anyone on the on the line here has ever heard of the K-Max helicopter, you know, it was an unmanned helicopter that flew in Afghanistan for two and a half years and moved a lot of cargo, but I was the first logistics project officer for that effort to do that. So that was a really cool project to work on. And I got a chance to spend some time at DARPA doing some really sophisticated advanced technology type of stuff. And then I completely switched brains and, you know, <laughs> here's another kind of, you know, moment of fate, you know, in your career where you're expecting us expecting to go to a different command to be like an analyst somewhere. And then uh, that job went away because General Mattis uh, didn't really like Joint Forces Command. So they kind of sponsored that billet. And, you know, I had a choice from the monitor either to be the uh, the commandant's right hand man for the Camp Lejeune water lawsuit, which had absolutely no appeal to me at all, or uh, be a planner over at the State Department. So I ended up spending three years at the State Department being a political military affairs planner and uh, working with the combatant commands and the J-5s that do that kind of work from kind of like a translator position where, you know, you kind of translate Department of State speak to Department of Defense speak. And uh, so that was a really interesting job. And and then uh, my last six months, after I decided to retire, I ended up being down at Quantico at Training Education Command um, as the Deputy G4 down there. So just a logistics officer for that. So after that, I ended up uh, taking a position with, uh, it's called Can Advisors, but we're a small women-owned, veteran-owned business, and we support the Department of Defense primarily with a lot of commercial clients as well. But I'm still working logistics and, and uh, supporting the units that I kind of grew up with in the Marine Corps and, uh, and working MPF issues and war reserve issues and stuff like that. And it's been a very fulfilling and satisfying job. The nice thing is I can work virtually, so I can be anywhere, um, and uh, and still and still be a part of like the Marine Corps community and help support efforts as we look forward. You know, look forward the next ten years or so, where we're going to be and where does the Marine Corps need to be. So I'm still part of that effort, which is a good feeling. Oh yeah, that's great to still be feel part of the family and, and help with direction and continue your service in a way on the civilian side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, it was not a, a bad transition at all. You know, I think, I think it did a lot of my transition while at the state department because I worked with civilians every day and I ended up wearing a suit every day for three years. So I only put on my uniform, I think during the Marine Corps birthday ball. So I had to like blend in with the natives <laughs> as they, as they say, you know, cause uh, you know, you're a military advisor, but you, you wear a suit. So so that opened up a whole nother world of, of neat opportunities there. And uh, so, so anyway, I think, I think it's where I did most of my transition. You know, I mean, a lot of people have a difficult time, you know, like, you know, getting out of the service and then, you know, translating those kinds of things to the, to the civilian world. And so anyway, I think I've done okay at that part. <laughs> uh, so, that, so they want to dress you down and put you in civilian gear because they're like, oh, man, that shit hot Marine Corps uniform. You don't want people to get intimidated, right, when you're working in yeah. that field? So you'd be yeah, like, exactly, oh, man. Yeah, yeah it's like uh, you know, <laughs> no one has any rank. And, you know, you can have, like, you know, the senior people there. Everybody's on a first-name basis. So it's a different kind of culture than 
kind of what we grew up in the, in the Marine Corps and, and everything. But it's all good. They're all, I mean, they're very much very good professionals and they do a great job with the limited resources that they have to, to bring to the, to the table. I'm sure they're pretty high speed there. I can imagine. Yeah. So yeah, now I guess we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up here with, uh, you know, your thoughts on the American warrior festival and, and what we have going on here, continuing our service, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Well, you know, Dan, I just think what you're doing is, is just fantastic, you know, and, you know, if your career had worked out any other way where, you know, maybe, you know, you would have spent your first four years or so in the Marine Corps and you would have just gotten out, would have been happy I was in Marine. I don't think you would have had the, the fight or the vision, you know, to give back like, like what you have been doing, you know. I think it was that adversity that you encountered that really drove you and, you know, drove you to give back more, but also, you know, just provide that kind of context of appreciating the things that that we have here and then you and i have been around the globe enough to know that we have a lot here in the united states and it could be a lot worse you know in other places absolutely <laughs> so a- absolutely so, yeah yeah so anyway your 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 work is fantastic and you know i i appreciate everything you've been doing you know because I, I don't think i would have had that kind of vision to do that you know and I, I'm happy to support you any way I can. And uh, so, you know, I've actually approached my company to see if we have some foundation work and I want to apply some hours at least, you know, to, to your causes and be able to do some good, helpful types of things uh, for the American Warrior Project. So looking forward to that as we, as we uh, work that out. Oh, that, that would be amazing, brother, because th- that, that is the battle. We have, uh, we have a lot of great things happening and, and, Obviously, we're event-based and concert-based. I always say that, um, you know, the two M's, music and military, uh, two G's, guns and guitar, you know, that's the, <laughs> the lifeblood of my existence. You know, that's that's where I want to be. And to be able to, uh, to work within a field where I get to apply my passion for music and my passion for the military and all the veteran family it's just an amazing feeling to go to work every day. And like with any company that you're starting independently, uh, you know, it's challenging just to get it off the ground in concerts and large events are very expensive undertakings. And they're also very uh, unpredictable at times. It could be uh, for lack of a better term, a volatile industry in the sense of you never know what, how a show is going to turn out. There's a lot of factors in there. Um, And what you guys do and what your strengths are, are some of the things that we need help with, uh, organization, logistics, analytics, uh, just keeping a strong spreadsheet and having everything in order. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate everything you've done thus far. If you guys find a way to, to, um, to work with us here, we would be, you know, very thankful and we definitely could put it to good use. So, uh, above all, I just had a a damn good time here with you today, brother. Uh, It's always a pleasure (laughs) when we get to talk, you know, and and get to, get to hang out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Me too. And, uh, uh, it's, it's great seeing like how I've always found this very fascinating, like how relationships that you have back in the past, you know, continue to, you know, you know, mature and, and get better over the years and everything. And uh, certainly my relationship with you is um, very special. And, um, you know, even though you're a few years younger than me and everything, uh, I really value everything that you've done, that you continue to do. 
and uh, you know, looking forward to the next steps uh, going forward. So uh, I'm really grateful, you know, that you had me on the show today, and it's uh, it's really um, a special moment for me. Oh man, it like I said, the pleasure is all mine. I handed you the water bottles, you handed me my Marine Corps career back. So I think I think I still owe you, brother. <laughs> Bringing it all back, you know. <laughs> oh man, well I tell you what, enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, and you have a great weekend, and uh, we'll be we'll be talking with you soon, brother. Yeah, it sounds good, Dan. Really appreciate it. And so I ha- say hi to everyone back home. Uh, looking forward to seeing them again. Yeah. And if you, do you want to uh, shout out to anyone? You mentioned your company or anything. Uh, you know, feel free to do it here on the, on the airwaves right now. Or oh, if sure. you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. Well, uh, yeah, we're working on, uh, uh, I work for Cayman Advisors, uh, like I said, and our foundation work. You know, we like to, you know, help out businesses and organizations that, support you know veteran issues and and other types of uh things that are important to the folks that work at Kena. and uh you know i think your your foundation and your organization would be a great fit for us and uh i'd be happy to you know continue the relationship uh from our foundation side and uh just a shout out to the folks back in leroy and everything uh you know i'm down in virginia uh but not that far away my family's still back there and uh so Looking forward to getting back when we can after this whole COVID thing. But, uh, you know, I got to see my mom and my brother and, and his family and so forth. But uh, it's been a while. But once this uh, these restrictions lift, I'm sure we'll be back here soon. Oh, I can't wait for that. Now, uh, where can people find you real quick? Uh, how do people, uh, your website or or if, they, if they're interested in your organization or your company? Uh, well, it's uh, caneadvisors.com um, is, our, is the name of our company. Uh, so you can check it out there. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm in the directory. We're a small company. We're growing. And uh, so, um, yeah, you'll see me in there or, or on LinkedIn to Terry Hagan. Um, you can find me there as well. All right. That sounds great. Well, man, I had a hell of a time here and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll be in touch soon, brother. All right. Sounds good, Dan. Hey, All right. Again. Take care. All right. All right you too. Bye. That was my good friend, Terry Hagan, Lieutenant Colonel, USMC, retired.
That was Weapon X with Viking Chug. All hail Viking Chug. The American Warrior Festival podcast brought to you by the Red Osier Landmark Restaurant, Western New York's premier dining experience, known for its amazing prime rib and dedication to the veteran community. Visit them online at theredosier.com. Here we are with Fred Alvarado, the founder of Broken Warriors Angels. Fred, how are we doing today? Oh, it's, I'm doing great out here in San Antonio, Texas. Hot, but awesome. Okay. <laughs> hey, there you go. Hot is good. Being in New York right now, I wish I was uh, where you were at, enjoying that that oh, warm weather. It. Yeah, I came uh, from the northern states, and I love the winters here. <laughs> you know. Oh. Yeah, not too hard to take coming from, uh, like you said, uh, Michigan, correct? <clears throat> yes, Michigan. Yeah, that's Michigan. I think we have weather, or Michigan has pretty similar weather to New York, I'd imagine. Pretty oh, close. Yeah. I, you got those cold winters, you know, snow up about eight feet high, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Time, you know, <clears throat> ice everywhere. No, I gave it all up yeah. to come down here. You're a smart man, my friend. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, now now Fred is doing great work with his organization called Broken Warriors Angels. And, and Fred, I want to start with letting people know a little bit about, uh, you know, what got you into the military? What what inspired you to serve and, and uh, a little history of your, your military service? Oh, sure. Um, I was in high school um, back in the I'm an old fart. You know that. <laughs> hey, young at heart. The 60s. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, I was in high school, and I uh, I wanted to be in the Air Force Academy, but at the time uh, they weren't ex- they weren't accepting us anyway. So I joined the Army uh, before I graduated from high school. Uh, I went to <clears throat> I went to boot camp at Fort Polk, Louisiana, and then from there uh, I went to AIT at Fort Gordon, Georgia, and I got. <clears throat> got promoted to E4 right off the AIT, and then I was straight sent to Vietnam, which uh, that was not a... Uh, let's put it this way. It changed my life. Uh, I mean, I saw things that people shouldn't see, and we did things we shouldn't do. But that's behind us, you know? <clears throat> we lost a lot of friends out there, but hey... Uh, we were out there to serve our country, and <clears throat> we had no choice in the matter sometimes that we did what we have to do out there. And uh, um, it was either uh, when you're getting fired on, you got to fire back because uh, I wasn't brought up to do the things I had to do out there. But so is life, you know. <clears throat> but thank God it, he got me back here, back to the States, and uh, in one piece, uh, I did uh, have, uh, I have uh, this interior in Vietnam, and I still have problems with that, but that's irrelevant at this point, because I'm doing fine. <clears throat> and I believe that uh, I, uh, that God has helped me a lot through my uh, illness and and the ministry that I have now. I mean, that, uh, without him, I think I'd do nothing, you know? <laughs> But, uh, you're you're a real uh, a real special individual, Fred. When I met you last year in San Antonio, uh, I, I could tell how much helping your fellow your fellow man, your fellow veterans, meant to you. And 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 you're the real deal. And I just want to thank you from 
you know, our generation, um, you know, Iraq war veterans, we, we have a lot of, uh, respect for all of our veterans, but especially you guys, the Vietnam veterans, you guys are special because, uh, you know, obviously it goes without saying that when things were a little different now than when you guys came back home and there was a lot of challenges for Vietnam veterans. And I'm so thankful that you guys are finally getting your due. I, I feel <laughs> Vietnam veterans are getting their due more now than they ever have. And, uh, it's long overdue. So from one veteran uh, to another, you know, you guys are inspiring to us and we respect you to the fullest. <clears throat> you know, it wasn't easy, Dan, at the beginning for all of us. I mean, uh, we're all happy coming back from, that we made it through it, you know, through that mess. And and when we got here, it was like, oh, my God. They don't even understand what we've been through, you know. Right. <clears throat> they call us baby killers and they call us all kinds of names and all this stuff. And, and uh, some of us got in trouble, but uh, I try to keep cool. Um it was bad because I had changed my, uh, take off my uniform and put civilian clothes to travel. Otherwise, I got harassed real bad, you know, during that time. Uh, but uh, I had PTSD as well, real bad. Of course, I didn't know I had PTSD at this time, you know. I thought the whole world was had trouble. Not I. I was in denial. <laughs> That's how it is right. with PTSD, you know, when you have PTSD. You think the whole world is... is always have the problem, not I, but well, through the grace of God, I was able to find God in my life, and I, and I, and I realized that, hey, I better get, it. <clears throat> I better get some help, because uh, uh, he has a purpose for me to help others as well, because I've been homeless as well, I've been, I've been, uh, I lost my marriage, I lost, I lost my job, so it's, it's, it's a struggle, <clears throat> and I figured that I've been through it. I can help others go go through their uh, trauma as as I did, and uh, and I believe that God wants us to help all of us out there in the streets. So that's why I work with the homeless, the OTH, other than honorable. <clears throat> this this other honorable are veterans that the VA does not uh, give any kind of benefits, and. What they did is basically, they messed up out there doing the oil of service. By that I meant, maybe they were doing self-medication at the time and they got caught. Though, they serve our country, don't get me wrong. I see in their scars, I see in their wounds, I see in their testimony. I mean, I've spoken to these people. I'm also a peer-to-peer -peer mentor. I'm trained by the state to work with PTSD guys. <clears throat> so I go on the streets, and I work with my veterans, but I, I work with everybody. Trauma is trauma, no matter how you see it, whether it's combat trauma or it's, you're being victimized by other people. And But I, I believe that God wants to help all out there, you know, not just. So I, I help as many as I can out there in the streets. We, we bring them all kinds of resources to the veterans, especially the OTH. <clears throat> we get them medical, we get them mental, we give them other resources out there in the streets. Uh, I can't get them to the VA, but I can get them other clinics. And I work with the local clinics here in San Antonio to provide them with the, the essentials they need <clears throat> that they cannot be provided by the VA. You know, so if they need a wheelchair. I talk to uh, 
other organizations, and I get them a wheelchair. They need medical. I go to different hospitals, and I get them into the hospitals. If they need mental health, we go out there <clears throat> in other clinics, and they brought them with mental health. But they'll go get, <clears throat> you know, uh, my... Uh, this is, ama- this is amazing work, Fred. The, the, what you do, getting in in the trenches there with your, your fellow vets, and like you said, anyone that needs help. And that was one thing I... I really liked when you, you told me on, on Facebook a couple weeks ago, you said, Dan, you know, we obviously help veterans, but we feed any hungry individual. And I knew that it was a, a even a, a greater purpose for you and for you to overcome all the things you have and then to channel it into helping the way you do now. It's, it's such an amazing situation. It inspires the rest of us. And the work that you're doing with Broken Warriors Angels, uh, you know, you're getting right into it here, telling people what you do on the day to day. And um, we look forward to to trying to um, help you as much as we can from our end, too. We're, we're working to the food drive in New York is a lot further ahead than the one in Texas, but we are still working on the one in Texas and we're inspired to, to get you some more resources so, uh, you know, stay with us there, brother, and, and we'll make sure that we take the steps to get you what you need on, on our end, our contribution. Oh, great, Dan. Uh, yeah, I got, I got uh, other folks. I, I work with other folks here as well, uh, like University of Texas and, uh, and Connor Ward University. Those folks uh, have helped us considerably with, with uh, resources for us to continue serving the homeless out there on the streets. Uh, I also work for four Sims, uh, Sam Houston, and some some military folks there that made us hundreds of masks so we can give out to the homeless, you know. And then I'm working with uh, Lakeland Air Force Base as well. Uh, they provide us with all kinds of resources as well. So they know our purpose, you know. And we strive to provide the veterans with direction to uh, veterans' benefits and, you know, with information about shelters, about other veterans. Quarter, and we take them to quarterly events. In other words, we take them fishing, we take them uh, baseball games, we, we do other things. We want, to, we want to realize that, hey, you're not forgotten. We're here for you. Absolutely. And they need to know that there's people there that, that value them and care about them and are going to do things to try to, to make their life better in any way that, that we can, you know? So why don't we tell the people, cause I know today you're busy and you have things going on. Why don't we, why don't we tell the people what, what a day in the life of, uh, you know, broken warriors, angels, helping the homeless vets. Tell us a little bit about how the day would, will unfold. Okay. I like, I like, for example, for today, uh, today's Friday and we feed the homeless from 180 to 200 homeless veterans as well, you know, OTH veterans. And right. uh, we not only do we feed them, we prepare this, this, this food for them. So we go in earlier and we make 400 sandwiches, we make 200 bags, and we put them on Ziplocs and we put all kinds of goodies in there, you know. And then it's a, it's a process. It's a lot of work, let me tell you. But hey, it's all worth it, you know, to be out there and, and to uh, give those those homeless veterans and other homeless uh, the meal because they're hungry, 
and they need it. You know, you can see their the, the anguish in their faces. You can see the compassion that they have toward us when we give them items like this. You know, and they thank us. I mean, they're really humble that we're there helping them. You know, because down in the streets, down <clears throat> and during the covenants, it's hard to get in a meal out there because everything is closed. You know. So. Right. Yeah. It's I'd imagine right now, like you're just mentioning, that it's even tougher for them to get uh, their meals and, and help in any way. Right. I mean, since this uh, the covid situation here, it's become more challenging, I'd imagine. Oh, oh, yeah. And we have to uh, comply with C CDC uh, and the uh, city. So we have to be in, a, in an area where we can provide these meals, fix this meal on a, on a commercial kitchen in a commercial area. All right. Sorry about that, ladies and gents. We just lost Fred for a bit, but uh, now he's back and we're going to continue talking about the, uh, you know, feeding the homeless during the COVID situation. All right, Fred. I'm back, guys. Uh, yeah. Um, like I said, we feed over 200 folks out there in the streets and, uh, uh, we're trying to comply with the city as, as well as the CDC, and uh, we, we're working fine with them. And uh, but we're going to continue to do this as long as we can, you know. But uh, I believe we can all help out uh, by giving us the resources we need, you know, or donations or anything. Because it, uh, it, it, it makes it really impact on those folks out there. If you could be see their faces and see how they appreciate everything we give to those folks out there. It's, it's amazing to see this, you know. But, um, yeah. That, that's, that's awesome, Fred. Now, let, mm -hmm. let's tell people how uh, they can get a hold of you and how they can help. Uh, what's the best way <clears throat> for people to uh, contact you at Broken Warriors Angels? Oh, you can go to my website, uh, which is www.brokenwarriorsangels.com. Uh, there's a donation button you can donate there. You can see my profile and what we do. Uh, or you can email me at uh, uh, 1347fret at gmail.com. Uh, we have a P.O. box as well, uh, which is 120352, San Antonio, Texas. Seven eight two one two. If you just feel like calling me or you feel like texting me, I'm more than happy to answer any of your questions and uh, and help anybody that we can help out there. Thank you so much for everything. God bless you. Th thank you, Fred. And I tell you what, we'll do. We're gonna put up all your links to and your information on our uh, the YouTube version of this podcast, and make sure that people know how to get a hold of you so they can assist you in your, in your great mission. So we're going to let you get, get to your work here because uh, you have great things to do today. And we want to thank you so much for, for coming on and, and being a part of our podcast. And we look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you in September. We have concerts planned in your area in September and they're That's still awesome. on the calendar as of now. So we're hoping to see you then and we'll be in touch to uh, assist you in until we see each other again. So uh, without further ado here, we want to thank Fred for coming on and, and uh, we appreciate what you do. All right. Thank you so much, all of you, for my support all right. and everything. God bless you. Bye. Yeah, you take care, Fred. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That was Fred Alvarado with Broken Warriors Angels.
Here's Weapon X with POW. Ladies and gentlemen, now introducing the master of chocolate, bow ties, and European metal, 
the owner of Oliver's Candies in Batavia, New York, Mr. Jeremy Lyles. Jeremy, how's it going, my friend? Good, Dan. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, no problem at all. It's uh, it's our pleasure. Uh, so what's going on uh, out there in Batavia, New York right now? What, what do we got going on? Well, fortunately, we have some sunny skies out here, finally, uh, now that our, our winter has passed and uh, and we're, we're just kind of winding down all our seasons, to be honest with you. Nice, nice. We're definitely looking forward to some uh, some good weather here in New York. Uh, we've had sun a few days in a row now, so it, it's feeling like like getting out there and doing things and yeah, these it might crazy just happen. times. It might yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, did we ever think there'd be a day where we would have to be so confined? You know, oh, I mean, these times. Yeah, it's yeah. been a, it's been a very unusual year. That's for sure. Yeah, 2020 has definitely been an unusual year, to say the <laughs> least. <laughs> yeah, we'll so, roll with that. Yeah, we'll roll with it the best we can, right? Like <laughs> like we always do? That's right. So, so now, since we talked about European metal, or I mentioned it there in the introduction, I know that it's one of those things where I was like, man, this guy, he runs, you know, the, the best chocolate factory around, candy factory around. He likes to wear bow ties. And then you said you love European metal and metal in general. So I always thought that that combination was awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess a few years back, maybe it's, uh, you know, I, I fell in love with like a Nightwish um, from Finland um, that, you know, led me right into they toured uh, the U.S. And they were uh, accompanied by Volbeat uh, out of Denmark. And, uh, and so obviously I just got right into them, um, you know, Sonata Artica out of, you know, Finland. And then of course you have the classic band like, uh, Scorpions out of Germany. Um, right. you know, the old rock band, um, and Rammstein out of Germany. Um, you know, and right down through, I just kind of started, you know, thank God for YouTube. Uh, I was able to find all these different bands and, uh, Oh, I just, I love rocking out to them, you know, and most of them, you know, sing in English. So I understand most of what they're saying. Um, sometimes I don't understand what they're saying, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's, it's all about, especially with metal. If you got great riffs and big drums, I mean, the vocals are really just a bonus to me. What do you think? I mean, to me, metal is riffs, drums, and then the vocals, they just add to it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the vocals um, are, are part of the, the music. Um, you know, uh, some people, actually my wife, she's more of a, oh, I need to know what the words are and what they're saying. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm going, I don't care what they're saying. I, you know, just <laughs> the voice is another instrument is all it is. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, Iron Maiden. And, um, you know, Bruce Dickinson just has an incredible voice. I don't care what he's saying. It's an instrument. Oh, a hundred percent. And in fact, my brother-in-law is a, is a huge Maiden fan and I've been hanging with him a lot lately. And I just have Maiden riffs running through my head daily, which I guess there's <laughs> definitely, there's definitely worse things, but I'm like, holy shit, I'm hearing so much Maiden that it's, it's just permeating through my, my skull. <laughs> but Hey, I, that's not a bad thing. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> So, and you know what's funny about going on and on YouTube and finding one band? It'll send you down a rabbit hole of like a million others. 
Oh, I know. I love that. Um, and that's how you discover because you, you can start going off to the right side there and start clicking. And it's like, you know, you're going to find something you go, oh, this is not right at all. And then you, then there's 10 other ones that are just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And it's like, what? A box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. That's right. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> I had to. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> talk, talk about right on the nose. Uh <laughs> So, so Jeremy, let's talk a little bit about uh, j- just a quick history about Oliver's Candies. Uh, you know, let people know, uh, you know, how it started and, and how it's evolved to what it is today. Well, sure. Um, Oliver's been in business now 88 years. Um, it, uh, we are not the original family. Uh, we're actually the fourth family to own it. Uh, started by Joseph Oliver uh, back in the 30s. Um, and then, um, so through the years, it's, uh, uh, his kids weren't interested, so it was sold to another family and so forth. Uh, 1998, my parents bought it. Um, it was, uh, it was on the verge of, uh, bankruptcy, um, and possibly closing up. A uh, local family that we knew owned it, and my parents had just gotten out of, uh, the, uh, sold out of the binding industry, uh, made three ring binders. Um, so that's what I grew up with. Very exciting. Uh, not, not at all. Uh, but, uh, you know, so, so, um, it was one of those that came to my mother, you know, my, and my father, they were like, do you, um, you know, are you interested in, in buying Oliver's? And, you know, my stepfather, he's like, no, he's like, I just, I'm retiring. I just sold my, you know, company. And, uh, my mother from around the corner says, yes, yes, we will. Um, it's a chocolate factory and, uh, and my mother grew up here in Batavia and said, you know, it's always been a part of our family. And, and, uh, so, you know, my mother ruled and all she wrote and they bought it. Um, put a, um, uh, you know, then, uh, I, I was in, um, a printing company at the time. And, uh, so I got out of that, uh, sold that business and then, uh, and kind of came over, um, to help my parents out because they really did want to retire. Um, and, um, so we've just been driving it ever since, uh, you know, and growing, um, we've expanded tremendously, um, back in 2000, we tripled the size of the store, um, and the kitchens here on location. Um, and then in, um, I have to think of what year it is, uh, 2018, um, we had, uh, um, refurbished an old, uh, onion warehouse, uh, six miles down the road or six minutes down the road um, and um, turned that into our new factory, added a second store, uh, moved the whole factory uh, and have both store locations and we've just keep growing. Uh, uh, we do a lot of wholesale. Uh, we, we make a lot of candy for other candy companies and, and for other retailers. We do a lot of private label stuff. Um, so, so we've expanded, uh, we have a global market where we have a, you know, our online store, we have our two physical brick and mortar stores, uh, as well as, um, an Amazon store now that we just built this year too. So, uh, so we're just going crazy in every direction. <laughs> that, and we're, how glad is the whole community that your mother made that strong decision to buy it oh and to God. keep it going into the future, you know? Oh, totally, because it would have closed. It really would have, um, and, and that would have been the end of it. Um, and, um, you know, so, so I, you know, I think everybody's thankful that, you know, my mother was just like, yes, you know, that's what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, oh, you know, obviously, completely. you know, I mean, and for me to come over to this industry from, uh, I was digital publishing and printing, um, 
you know, I was in a, in a crucial time there because which way was printing going? You know, the internet was booming. Uh, you know, everything was going to digital media and everything. So, so I wasn't sure of the um, future of that industry. Um, and so it really just kind of worked out super uh, when they asked me, you know, are you interested in getting involved in this? And I'm going, let's see, chocolate factory uh, versus printing factory? Yeah, I, you know what? Count me in. <laughs> Oh, um, it, it, great, it decision, great decision! Great <laughs> decision. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, think about just what you guys do for the community. Think about the joy. I mean, I grew up in Leroy, so Oliver's was a part of my childhood. I mean, it's where we got all of our Easter bunnies, and the parents would go in and get the box of chocolates. And Oliver's was a staple since I can remember. So. Uh, I just know how much it means to the kids, adults, grandparents. I mean, it, it really is family memories that are, that are created there. That's one of the greatest things about it. It's much more than just chocolate. Oh, yeah, Amazing absolutely. chocolate, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Um, you no. know, and it's funny. I'm not even a chocolate fan. Um, it's uh, really makes so much, you know, I, I don't even like chocolate really, but uh, but it's all the other products that we make that, um, of course, that I can't stay away from. So, would that be your sponge, your sponge candy, or uh, well, what's your what's your, no. what's your you know, believe it or not, see, and that's kind of crazy too, because sponge candy is our number one selling product. Um, we sell. Oh my God! At least thirty thousand pounds of sponge candy in a year, um, and uh, but but it's um, um, I'm I'm more into like um, and I don't even like sponge candy. That's the thing. I don't like sponge candy, and I don't like you don't chocolate. like chocolate yeah. or sponge candy. Um, what? So, <laughs> and our number one, but that's okay. It's probably better I don't. Um, uh, but uh, no, I, I mean we've we um, we also own uh, Johnson Candies, uh, which was out of Pennsylvania. We bought that last year and merged it into ours. Um, so we're the number one producer of French creams uh, in the world, um, and so that has grown tremendously for us. And that's a, a crystallized um, candy, very similar in concept to like maple sugar candy. Um, but different flavors, so like peppermint and wintergreen, and then there's fruit flavors and all that, and different shapes, and um, so the French cream industry has, has taken off for us. Um, and, this, and unfortunately, I do love those. So <laughs> I, I was going to say, I was going to say, I might need to end this interview and drive to Oliver's right now and try <laughs> out all the stuff that you just mentioned. Uh, that's that sounds amazing. So you guys are really getting out there and diversifying in a, in a lot of different ways. It's exciting for all of us. Oh yeah, and we find that. And you know, I mean, and especially I'm glad that we have been you know going this route when uh, when obviously this whole coronavirus thing hit um, because um, you know we had just built the Amazon store right in March. I uh, had just kind of started going with that. Uh, we you know our website has always been going strong. Uh, but when this hit and everything shut down right before Easter, um, it just went haywire, and um, which was great. Uh, our, you know, our sales exploded online, uh, but then we ended up having to shut down for a few days anyway because we, we just couldn't keep up with the orders. Um, shipping is so much different than when customers walk in the store to get their Easter money. Um, you know, they fill their basket, we check them out, they're gone. Uh, online, we have to now gather them all together, package everything, ship everything. So it was just the process was um, something we weren't honestly ready to handle that big of a, a change that fast.
Right. I was going to say when, when your business adjusts that quickly and you have to see it happen in real time and the day to day grind of it, it really starts showing what it's all about and how you have to adjust to it. And I can imagine that could get overwhelming when it it's a massive shift so quickly, like you just mentioned. Oh, so, yeah, it was it was insane. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we did the best we could. We, we you know, um, got that's why we stopped. Like we just kind of said, OK, halt everything. Um, and then so we could accommodate our customers, make sure we made all our customers happy uh, that we possibly could without, you know, well, we wanted to make sure all orders got out and got to the people by Easter um, before we reopened up and did anything. So, you know, it made some people mad because they're like, oh, my God, you shut down right before Easter. Well, it's because we were just trying to fill the orders and, you know, please the customers who already purchased. <laughs> right. You got you guys needed a, t- a time out, a quick time out. I mean, we're- yeah, yeah. We're going through unprecedented times here and, and you're trying to figure everything out like, hey, T.O., let's get back here on track and then come back strong. And which right. you guys have done. And, and uh, you guys have been a pillar of the community here during all this, too, uh, fighting through it like so many local businesses are aiming to do. And I commend you for that. I mean, well, it, it's it's a, yeah. it's a great thing. Now. You guys, it's no mystery to the community that you guys are very supportive of veterans uh, and just com- the community in general. Uh, tell me a little bit about what inspires you guys to uh, give back to veterans, your community. What is it that drives you there? I would say deep down, I'm just a patriot. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> I right love on. my country and, uh, and, and, you know, we're trying to... Um, I mean, they, you know, all you guys give so much. Um, I, I wasn't able to serve. Um, I had bad feet. Um, and uh, so they didn't want me. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, but, you know, I always wanted to. And, um, and for everybody who did serve, you know, we, we try to thank everybody. Uh, so we always offer, you know, veterans discounts, um, you know, active military, whatever. You come in and, and you will get a discount. Um, it is just something that I believe in. Uh, you know, I, I know the government doesn't give back nearly enough of what they should to our vets. Um, so here we are trying to help. Oh, you got you guys do a great job of it, and this is uh, a great time to tell the public here how American Warrior Festival got involved with Oliver's Candies, and I'll, I'll never forget. My friend Tracy, who mentioned it to someone on our team that, hey, uh, you know, Oliver's would like to help out in their own way. So they'd like to sponsor by giving you some candy bars on the house that we then can go out and and raise money with. And I'll never forget that uh, that gesture. First off, it was amazing. I think it was something like it was like 800 candy bars or something, I think. And yeah, it was at least that. Yeah. Yeah, they they went so quick. It was such a popular thing. Yeah, I mean, you're bringing it up and I'm like, I'm trying to think back and I'm like, yeah, I do remember that because it exploded. And that's where, you know, um, because I remember when I first started having the conversations about it and I'm like, well, you know, what is this American warrior thing and all that, you know, and and um, and as it kind of grew and grew and it just kind of exploded, then all of a sudden uh, you and I are talking and we're, you know. 
I mean, and you got the candy bars going everywhere. And I was like, it was like a whirlwind and it was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been great. And you know what? I see a, a resurgence coming back too, because I know it was, we, we had them throughout the community a lot in like 2017, 2018. And then, like you said, we started distributing more through shipping around the country and we've kind of changed where we put the candy bars a little bit, but I feel that it's going to keep growing because we're doing things on the American warrior end as well that will put us it, you know, give us a bigger footprint across the country and then eventually internationally. So where we go, our Oliver's American warrior candy bars go. And we're just so thankful and appreciative because your, your candy bars have helped us get through you know, some tough times and help bolster our good times. So uh, I can't thank you enough, Jeremy, for all that you've done for us and continue to do. Sure. I mean, you know, we're, we're proud to be a part of it. So, uh, and, you know, I appreciate you, you know, reaching out initially and just making us a part of this. So it's awesome. It's been a great team, I think, between the two of us and, um, and everybody else that's been getting involved. Um, and, uh, and I, I think it's, it's, I don't know. It's just kind of amazing to see it, you know, transform and progress and grow. It, and I, it definitely. And I like that we're getting our coffee out there more now, too. You know, we're noticing yeah, yeah, more coffee sales. Uh, yeah, I can see some serious potential with that as I'm sitting here drinking some coffee. So. <laughs> yeah, I got, I, got, I got some coffee, too, but I can't reach it in my little office here. <laughs> it's my, it's my, I, I, need to, I need to come up with a new way. I just realized that we started talking about coffee. I'm like, I can't reach my coffee. Then I'm like, am I going to spill it on my microphone here or I'm going to I'm going to mess something up if I make a move. So I, I'm sitting here like frozen in time. I'm like a statue. So. <laughs> You know, just get this thing down. So uh, I, I tell you what, we've talked about this quite a few times. Anyone that knows Jeremy knows that he's a fan of boats, the water, the sunshine um, and rum, correct? Oh, yes. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. I, I, matter of fact, I just put my boat in the water last night. Um, and when we're done here, I'm leaving and I'm going to be on my boat. Um, the sun is out and uh, there's no reason to not enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I love the, the islands, the, you know, anywhere, uh, from, you know, the Caribbean to, you know, get into, I don't care what part of the world you're in. If there's islands and palm trees, um, that's where I want to be. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a win right there. And, and I, I tell you what, besides building the business together, that that's a great thing and, um, serving our veterans number one, but another goal of mine is eventually for you and I to get on a boat like that and be able to hang out and have some rum together. So that's always been something that I, I can't wait till that happens, my friend. I, I'm ready for it. <laughs> uh, uh, man, I tell you what, I can, we'll, we'll do that sooner than later. How about that sound like a plan to you? That, that's definitely a plan. Absolutely. hundred percent. All right. Now let's um, let the people know how they can get a hold of, um, Oliver Candies, how they can order. What's the best way for the public to to reach you guys and to put their orders in? 
Well, well, obviously the the big one is the brick and mortar. I mean, people travel, you know, for miles and miles to come to our store um, because it is it's you know people who have never been to our store when they walk in uh, and realize the size of it, um, the amount of candies. Um, because we also sell, you know, uh, gifty items, um, you know, mugs filled with candy or stuffed animals. Uh, we have all that stuff in the brick and mortar stores, um, uh, and as well as ice cream in our stores. So we have a full line of uh, ice cream with our candies in the ice cream. Uh, so we have like our cashew glaze ice cream. We have sponge candy ice cream. Um, so all that great stuff. Um, so the brick and mortar obviously is the is the easiest. Uh, number two is probably our website at oliverscandies.com. Um, and uh, we have a $10 flat shipping fee. Um, we just changed that this year after Easter. Um, we used to have a full shipping and then some of that, you know, you get spend so much money and had free shipping. That was, uh, it got so confusing for everybody. Um, and the way shipping costs have gone up, we kind of said, okay, we got to figure out how to do this fair. Uh, so we just do a $10 flat shipping. So anything you order will be 10 bucks for the shipping. So I don't care if you order $500 in candy, uh, 10 bucks to ship it. Um, so that kind of made it easy. So you can call us um, and do the same thing. We can ship it if you just give us a call. Um, and, uh, and that is, uh, it's 1-800-924-3879. Uh, so it's an 800 number. Uh, give us a call and, um, you know, we can definitely, uh, we, we can ship anything in the store uh, and we'll, we'll do that. Um, and then there's the new one, which is our Amazon store. So you just go into Amazon. Um, and if you search like sponge candy, it will pop right up. Uh, you click on the Blue Oliver's Candies and it'll uh, take you right to um, our whole Amazon store. Um, I know there's a way to search Amazon stores um, and I don't, I don't know how to, I, I can't answer that for you, how to do that. Uh, that is my wife's, she's the one building that store, so she's the pro at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, and if anyone needs that information or wants to hunt that down, just get a hold of me and we'll make sure that, that Jeremy gets that information or just better yet, visit his website and, uh, you know, send him, send him an email. Uh, oh, and before I forget, we, we have to mention this, the, the Leroy School Leroy School was so happy to have the 350 candy bars that we worked together to get the kids here recently. Um, and I just wanted to thank you for that as well, Jeremy. They really appreciated it, uh, helping the kids oh, over that, there. That's awesome. I, you know, that was a um, great idea on your part um, of, of kind of, you know, reaching out to the schools, um, you know, to, um, to do something like that. I mean, cause obviously, you know, that puts your, you know, the American warrior right out there, right in everybody's hands. Um, and it's good for, you know, the kids to see this stuff too. Um, you know, this isn't about adults, uh, you know, it's the next generations coming up, um, right. to, you know, to help, let's create some more patriots and, you know, and get, uh, you know, that whole feeling of, of Americanism and all that. So. I like absolutely absolutely that's what we're doing we're reaching them young you know reaching them middle age and old all together man we want we want everyone to come in and especially get to the youth and let them know that uh pride in your country and and loving where you where you were uh born and the freedoms we have it's all part of the the equation so you know I, i'm tell you what man i think it's time for you to uh get on that damn boat and get in the sun <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean 
Oh, totally ready. So it's been a long, it, long winter. And, uh, you know, so so this will be the first day back out on that boat, you know. From, and our summers here are so short, uh, and so it's nice right. to be able to enjoy it for uh, for the short period we do have. Absolutely. So I, I tell you what, Jeremy, thank you so much for your time today. It's always a pleasure when we get to uh, get to have a conversation. So uh, we'll, be, we'll be talking to you soon and have a great time today out there in the sun. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me. And uh, yeah, you and I, we're going to connect very soon and we're going to have a cocktail out on the boat. So <laughs> hell yeah, that sounds like a plan. All awesome. right, buddy. So thank we'll be you. talking to you soon. Yeah, thank you. All right. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That's that's Jeremy Lyles from Oliver's Candies. The American Warrior Festival podcast brought to you by Oliver's Candies, the creator of the American Warrior Festival candy bar. Oliver's Candies is proud to offer you the largest selection of award-winning chocolates made in Western New York. Visit them online at oliverscandies.com.
That was Weapon X with These Wounds. Now, let's talk about the Strength in Numbers Entertainment American Warrior Festival favorite sports team concert series. When we're talking excellence in event production and sports, the Raiders, the Yankees, and the LA Kings, in my humble, modest opinion, Set the damn bar, baby. Just win, baby. And when I think of the Raiders, Yankees, and LA Kings and all the similarities that they share with our American Warrior Festival, the skulls and bones, the black eye patch, the rebelliousness, we don't take what they give us. We take what we freaking want. That's what we do. When I think of the Yankees, I think of pride and power. And I think of the long ball and the intimidation and the excellence in the championships. Nothing like Yankee baseball. When I think of the LA Kings and the royalty and the hail to the crown, hail to the throne, baby. The black and silver. Yeah, gets me fired up. So let's talk about our programs that are dedicated to those teams. We have a unique and exciting program that we're building with the Raiders, Yankees, and LA Kings through our company, Strength in Numbers Entertainment, and our band, Weapon X. This whole movement was born out of my passion and love for these teams. It all started with us putting on Weapon X concerts that are geared towards fan clubs and fans of these teams, as well as for our Weapon X family. We book music venues that also have the games on, and we put a Raiders, Yankees, Kings theme into the event. We put up our banners and everyone is wearing their gear. It's a great time. We have names for these concerts as well, such as the Raiders concert is called the Silver and Black concert. The Yankees concert is called the Pride and Power Chords concert, which is basically a take on the Yankees' pride and power. And the LA Kings, we call the Hell to the Crown concert, which is pretty self-explanatory there. We also get special Weapon X gear and merchandise made for these events that play right into the theme. So naturally, this led us to booking suites with these teams at their home stadiums and eventually visitor stadiums. This allows us to plan and execute our events in other parts of the country, which helps us reach more veterans, more communities, and spread the American Warrior Festival word nationally. So eventually, it just made perfect sense for us to tie in our American Warrior Festival cause to our sports team branded concerts and events in music venues, sports stadiums, and beyond. We figure what better way to show our veterans and military a great time. We host them in a luxury suite at Yankee Stadium, the Raiders' new stadium in Vegas, the Staples Center in Los Angeles. We help build the camaraderie and let them know that we appreciate them. We also include pre- and post-game concerts at local venues that surround the stadiums. So they get to enjoy the game at you know their favorite team stadium in a suite, and then go to a pre- or post-game live music show. Sounds like a pretty damn good day to me. So this program is also a great way to thank our sponsors and American Warrior family. 
Our mission is to have veterans enjoy the game and meet all the awesome people that have helped bring our cause to life. For example, how great is it to have the veterans sit next to the sponsoring companies and all the people that are involved with that sponsoring company so they can see where their sponsor dollars are going to work right there in real time in a massive stadium with great energy. This is a multifaceted program that will involve our sponsors and supporters, the team's luxury VIP seating reps, team advertising reps, and the community as a whole. With a focus on the local veteran community, the veterans enjoy the games, our sponsors get awesome advertising opportunities while, ha- while helping a great cause, and the teams win by hosting our nation's warriors. This is a win-win program for all of us, and we couldn't be more excited about it. So far in 2020, many of our sports-themed events and games have been postponed or credited for the 2021 sports season. These are unprecedented times in the sports world and in the world in general. So we're plugging away, adapting and overcoming as we go. So this is going to conclude our first ever American Warrior Festival podcast. But I tell you what, usually we are going to tell you stay tuned for next week's episode, but we all know what tomorrow is. Tomorrow is the 4th of July, one of the most patriotic holidays of all time. So we're going to bring you a special 4th of July American Warrior Festival podcast episode to celebrate freedom and being an American. So until then, you can find out more information about us here on our website, AmericanWarriorFestival.com. Talk to you tomorrow, friends. Semper Fi and take care.